great to see all of you. I don't know, see all of you. Great to see all of you this morning. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we welcome you to ICC this morning. We are so glad that you're here with us today. I want to thank Emily and Norm for their work and so wonderfully portraying that scripture that we are in this morning. Romans chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, verses 21 to 31. And I do uh, want to thank them encourage you there for work and art that so wonderfully displays this text is in the back of the room as each work of art is each week of this series and I encourage you to go and just admire uh, the Lord, admire uh, that portrayal here in the back of the room after worship today. But we are in the middle of a sick home way. Who's enjoying the weather? I'm not sick. I told you last week it was going to get cool and a lot of people were like, I don't want to hear it. And then here it is. I just look at the weather channel. But, um, so, so good. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Foundations. And if you're new here this morning, we love to walk through books of the Bible. And that's what we're doing here in this series. We're walking through the book of Romans together. And I have been eager to walk through this book with you uh, for some time. And we call it Foundations because we all have to build our lives on something. We all have to build our faith all of us um, are alive, we're living for something, all of us trust in something. We have to build upon something. And so we call this series Foundation because perhaps more than any other book in the scripture, the book of Romans so clearly and beautifully lays out, just like if you're building a house, you have to start with the foundation, you have to have something to build upon. The book of Romans, God lays out for us the foundation. And he says, here's what I want you to build your life on. Here's what I want you to build your faith on. And it's all about a word that we call the gospel. Gospel just means good news. In fact, in week 1, in verses 1 to 17 of chapter 1, Paul lays out some thesis. A thesis for the whole rest of the book. If you memorize it, some of you guys are doing your scripture. If you memorize it, you remember or see. 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, to all who believe. Paul says to us, I want you to build your life on this. I want you to love this. The news of what God has done for you in Christ. It is the power for God's work in your life to save you, to transform you. It is what you need to focus your life upon, what you, the foundation you need to build upon. And so he says, I, I'll never, I'll never shrink back from declaring the goodness of what God has done. And you should always keep this at the center of your heart. That's his thesis. That's his thesis. And I spent the rest of the book unpacking that thesis. So where have we been in the last two Alright, so this is now the fourth week, arguably. But just to catch you up, if you weren't here, or maybe if you weren't here, if you just were sleeping, uh, not true, not true. Um, in case you weren't here, here you weren't. Here's what you're From verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way through verse 20 of chapter 3. Again, Romans is a very logical book. It's part of our behalf of God's. Uh, 40s, because we need to understand 
gospel part. If you didn't understand why he's unpacking the pieces, but from chapter 18 and 1 all the way through chapter in verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul starts by helping us understand the answer to the question, why is it that we need to be saved? I mean, what's the big deal? If you remember your question, you know, you're all excited about some message of salvation, but but before that, I mean, is it really, do I really need to be saved? What's the big deal? Why, why is it that I need to be saved? Why is it so important to you? Why is it so foundational to me? Some of us have asked that question. Some of us in the room are exploring faith and trying to figure out what it is that God wants from us and how it is to be right with God. And you, you might wrestle with that question. Is it, is it really? Is it really a need? I mean, why am I supposed to be so excited about this? Remember, I told you a few weeks ago that you don't know that you have a disease, you're not going to be happy about it here. If you don't know that you have debt, you won't be happy when somebody provides a cancellation of that debt, right? Um, if you don't know that you are in need of rescue, you're not going to be happy when the rescue comes. So why is it that we need to be saved? And what Paul began with is, this is a recap, he basically said, you need to understand that all of us are hopeless and helpless in our present We are hopeless and helpless in our present condition. All of us, here's the reason, all of us, I'm not going to use this one, you're including this, all of us have rejected God. We have all, in one way or another, rejected the relationship with God. We know, we know, you know, you know that God exists, and you know that your life should be for Him, should honor Him, should worship Him. You know that. And yet, time and again, you reject the relationship with God. Paul says, through suppressing Him, or through exchanging Him for other things, idolatry. You choose to live for yourself what you want, rather than for God, who He is and what He Again and again. And it is the biggest problem of your life. The Bible calls it sin. Sin fundamentally is a rejection of relationship with God. And it manifests in sins of your life. All the things that you do, your behavior, evidence is the primary problem of your heart. And that is that you have rejected the relationship with God. Wanting what you want rather than what He wants. Not honor the church as we should. Because of that, in summary, Paul says that God's wrath is being revealed. Hence the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of man. His anger is poured out. He rejects those who reject him. We are helpless and hopeless. This place, we deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be cut off. And there are no exceptions, Paul says. He's made the argument whether you're religious or whether you're irreligious, whether you're moral or whether you're immoral, whether you are that hood wearing your own throat in the south of the church, or whether you're that heathen, just living it up however you want to. All of us are included in this righteous condemnation that we are guilty. Our own behavior shows that we all have rejected the relationship with God. We're guilty. The gavel comes down. We're not found innocent, but we're found guilty. And each of us will have to stand for God and give an account. 
Every one of us, after we die, or when the Lord comes back Himself, we will stand before God, and we will have to look at His face, give an account of what we've done. And the Bible teaches clearly, when you believe this, I can't help you there, but I want you to, because I believe that it's true. It is true. The Bible teaches us that all of us, standing before God, our mouths will be stopped. Our mouths will be shut up. Because we will have no defense for ourselves. Our sin will be seen as what it is, and we know we to defend ourselves. All we can do is acknowledge that we are in this helpless and hopeless place. Nothing we can do to make ourselves right. Even doing good things, even trying to obey from this point forward, by works of the law, no one will do me right. This is where we are. This is where he's taken us so far in the Romans. And like I said, he's, he's, he's intentionally helping us to be in this very helpless, hopeless place unless there is a rescue. The only hope for us is that there might be a rescue. Now listen, if, if, if Romans stopped here, would this be an exciting book for me? Uh, I mean, all the things I've just said are true. God's been trying to help us see this. But if it stopped here at chapter 3, verse 20, how do you feel? It's like, oh gosh. You know all those things are true. You know that you do exactly these things. You know you're not, you're not having anything to say for yourself. You know that what the law speaks, it speaks truth to them. If the book stopped here, you'd be a mess of place. It would be the most depressing of all books, even if it were true. But, I want to tell you what God has been wanting is to lead us to this place where we are. We do come to the end of ourselves, but we think the book doesn't stop here. Anybody just get excited about that? <laughs> the news of God could have stopped here. He could have just issued this and said, here's your condition, and it could have been it. But the news of God does not stop here, and I'm happy for it. I thank God for it. It doesn't stop here. But it continues. And that's why today we will be looking at verses 21 to 31 of Romans. Page 20 in your guide. If you guys have your guide, I hope you have your guide. If you don't, you can follow on the table uh, after church today. Let's wait. Page 20 of your guide. We're going to be looking this morning at God's plan, which is salvation in Jesus. Oh, praise God. God has a plan for us. It is salvation in Jesus. And the main truth, the core truth that I want you to see today is this. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking as we look verse by verse in this short section. But the core truth is this, that in Jesus Christ, God saves by His grace for His glory anyone who puts their trust in Him. We should write that down. We should walk away today knowing this. We're going to spend our time here Looking at it, we should walk away knowing this that in Christ, in Jesus Christ, God saves by His grace and for His glory anyone who puts their trust in Him. 
This week, I have been trying to figure out or how this is a very logical argument that Paul is making, that God is making for us here. But it shouldn't just be heavy. I'm scared sometimes that there are things that we know, there are things that we even say that we believe, but it doesn't affect us in our hearts. We all connect with it in a personal way. Now we're trying to figure out how, how do we feel, how do we feel the magnitude of not only our helplessness and our hopelessness, but of what you have done to rescue us. Let me tell you, if you don't feel this to your core, it's a sign that you're not alive. You don't have a choice, you're not living for The pulse of those who are saying is this that you know that you're helpless, and you know that God has done everything in Jesus by His grace for His glory. Thank you. 
Facebook feed way too much. I know some of you in Fox are working doing the Facebook thing. You see the videos come up, you know, the guy that uh, gets stranded in the flood, you know, like this week we had a barbecue, he was stranded out in the flood, and other people are risking their lives, or at great cost, they go to help people who are stuck or who are stranded, and they rescue them. And it's repeated million views on YouTube, you know, because wow, so awesome that somebody would give up everything to go up, somebody they don't even know. Get them saved. How cool is that? You know, or we watch Titanic. Oh, baby, we go back. You know, you see these moments of, you know, the boat comes and rescues people. It's just like, wow. Or oh, Batman, you know. Um, here I go, Batman. You know, with the bomb is about to destroy Gotham. Who's going to help? Who's going to save us? All of a sudden, Batman is like, prison and has some food and food. Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this soap, 
He claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gila, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Why? Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really going to go. Didn't you understand the mission? Madam, you know, I thought he meant more. He must be thirsty. Thank you. story. What an incredible, incredible story. The reality is, friends, uh, we are just like John Valjean. At the end of Romans 3, verse 20, where we are currently, and as we pick up our text today, we are the ones who have rejected relationship with God punched him in the face, done what we wanted to do. We are the ones who run away in the middle of the night. Guilty. We're the ones brought back in to be brought to justice. We're the ones when accused with a knapsack full of the goods that we've stolen. We have nothing to say. Because it's true what we've done. We stand condemned in the face of the one who could say, put him away. We also stand condemned. And you look in the face of the judge and you wonder, what is he going to say? And he opens his mouth. And instead of a word of condemnation, what we find is a word of invitation, a word of restoration, a word of mercy and grace and of love, a word of rescue and redemption. And we should feel the magnitude of this. 
as much as we feel it in any other story, because this is our story, this is an eternal story, this is about your soul and mine, before holy, eternal God, who has all power over you. This is the story of our relationship with God. Verse 21. In your Bibles, ready? We read. In the face of our condemnation, Paul just left us with. Again, picture it. We've just been brought into the courtroom. The verdict is in. The goods are in hand. Our condemnation is just. Our mouths have been silenced. We are guilty. And there's no way for us to make it right with God on our own. Paul says, But, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. In other words, he has just stripped you of your own ability to make yourself right with God, hasn't he? Hello? Hasn't he? Is there any way that you can make yourself right with God? Is there anything that you can do? No! There's no way. You're not right with God and you can do nothing about it unless God forgot me. And Paul comes on and he says, and listen here, folks. Now that you are helpless, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. In other words, God now is providing a way, a way that you didn't have. When you are hopeless, here comes hope. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Manifested being seen. It's that feeling of, I remember when Caroline was, we were pregnant with Caroline, I was like waiting to see. You hoped that she was going to be okay. You hoped, you were longing for the day that this baby would be manifested, right? But until she's manifested, you don't know, really. I mean, with, with machine and stuff now, it's not a perfect analogy. But it's that picture. That which we hope for. At a place of desperation and hopelessness, we have no idea until it comes. But here it is. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Isn't this good news? What, what he's saying is there is a way for you to be right with God. And that should hit you like a ton of bricks today. When you are hopeless and have no way to be right with God, God is saying now, there is a way that you can't be right with me. Do you want that this morning? Do you want to be right with God? But when you stand in front of Him, face to face, you can say, I'm right with you, God. There's a way. Now, the rest of this is going to unpack what that way is. So if you're riding this morning on your screen, you're going to see these little blue boxes down at the bottom, right? We're going to go verse by verse, phrase by phrase, on the screen, what you're going to see, and I'll, I'll say it verbally too for those listening online, is what are the characteristics of this righteousness of God? In other words, how is it that I can be made right with God? What is this righteousness like, and how can I have it? What are the characteristics of it? So, we're going to start walking through. There is a way to be right with God. The righteousness of God is going to manifest in power. First thing he says here, 
Look at look back at verse 21. He says it has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from the law. You can go to the next page. In the blue box, what you see here is this. That this righteousness, this way of being right with God is totally separate from anything that you could ever do. It is totally apart from our effort. He says the righteousness of God is manifested. Oh yes, there's a way, but it is totally apart from the law. In other words, you can't earn this righteousness through behavior. You're not going to get it by doing what is right. It's not going to come through a set of rules that you follow. It's not going to come through a self-help program. It's not something that you can do to work for God. It's not something that you can merit to earn salvation. This righteousness is totally apart from what you do or could ever have done. It's not about you. It's not about you. You are never going to be righteous and earn your salvation. You're never going to behave well enough to get a stand before God and be like, you know, I'm good. No. This is totally apart from anything that you've ever done or anything that you will ever do. That's his first point. Second point, he says this. He says, the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. And then he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, what he's saying is that this way of salvation, this way of being right with God, has been God's plan from the beginning of creation. It has been God's plan to make you right with Him from the very beginning of creation. And you say, well, well, didn't He give the law? Wasn't that the way of being right with God, keeping all the rules? Didn't He tell them to behave and get better? And isn't that what the Old Testament's about? The law and the prophets? And Paul says, well, no. God's plan has always been to save in this way, to put you right with Him in this way, because the law and the prophets bear witness to this plan of making you right with God. Now, some of you, I know, are going to talk about this, ask me about this, uh, you're going to need to unpack it in your small groups, but I'm just telling you this is the way it is. If you look back at Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn there right now, verse 15 and also verse 21, what you see is that there in the garden, in the very beginning, before the law was given, before the prophets came, there in the garden, God is promising to put people right with God through a deliverer. He himself killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve, their shame. He himself said, there is coming one from your seed who will crush the head of the serpent, who will take away the power of the enemy, who will save you from death. The law was never intended to save anyone. Let me repeat this. The law was never intended to save anyone. God knew this. The law instead was always meant to reveal your sin and point you to a Savior. When you look at the law, what do you see? All you see is that I can't do it. I haven't done it. 
I'm guilty. I mean, can anybody read the Ten Commandments? Y'all, some of you should read the Ten Commandments. Anybody look at the Ten Commandments and think, okay, I did all of those. I'm fine. No! You haven't done all those things. I've broken almost every one of them. I think I have every one of them. Right? You might ask, well, gosh, did I pastor murder somebody? <laughs> did you commit adultery? Well, no, but Jesus said if you look at, if you act with anger towards someone, you're guilty of murder. If you look at another person with lust, you're guilty of adultery. The law, I mean, even the basic Ten Commandments. Come on, folks. The basic Ten Commandments. Even the easy ones. I'm not talking about all the little minutia in Leviticus. The easy ones. The big ones. You haven't even got those. The law was never intended to save, but rather to reveal your brokenness and lead you to a Savior. The law could be a witness to God's righteousness, one pastor says. Can be a witness to God's righteousness, but can never provide God's righteousness. You got it? Well, what about the prophets? The prophets were never intended to encourage good behaviors of God's people, although good behavior does come from what they wanted. But the prophets didn't come with a self-help message. They came saying, you need to repent. You need to get on your face. You need to realize how broken you are before God. There's coming one who's going to make all of this right. There's coming a deliverer from Zion, from David. There's coming one who will be the eternal king, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. There is coming one who will put you back with God. It wasn't ever self-help. It was always meant to lead people to brokenness, readiness for a Savior, and to promise them that God himself was going to provide for their salvation and redemption. You got it? So what Paul's saying here, and by the way, the whole rest of the Old Testament is the same way. All the Old Testament leads to Christ. Through the prophecies, through the law, through the sacrifices, through the types. The Old Testament screams that God is going to save and He's going to do it through Christ. Paul brings that in here. He says, now the righteousness of God. Oh, there's a way to be right with God. It's apart from anything that you've done or ever will do. It's not about that at all. And all the law and all the prophets have been bearing witness to this salvation. It's been this way from the beginning of creation. Next, we see this. Look back at verse 21. Or excuse me, 22 now. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He's going to unpack this in a second. But right now, I want you to pay attention to the phrase, the righteousness of God. God. What I want you to note here is the characteristic of the way that God is making us right is that it is God's perfect righteousness. It's not your righteousness that you have before God. It is God's righteousness that now He is giving to you. See, a righteous and holy God, in order to have a relationship with Him, we must be righteous and holy. This is the whole problem with sin and why a relationship with God, without your sins being covered, is with, with unright, being unrighteous, being ungodly. We cannot have a relationship with a righteous, godly one. just can't happen. We desperately need righteousness, a perfect standing of no faults, no failures, totally good. You don't have that, friends. Neither do I. But it says here, God is giving 
His perfect righteousness through this way of salvation. Such that you can have the very righteousness, the perfect standing, the completeness of God, the, the faultlessness that you needed from the beginning. God is giving His righteousness through this way of salvation. How awesome is this? Now, keep going. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He's about to unpack that last statement, so I'm not skipping it. He continues and he says, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And that's all one sentence, friends, and that's a long sentence. <laughs> it's full of wonderful, wonderful truth that you need to love and embrace and know. He begins by saying, for there is no distinction and then he says two things, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And secondly, all have the opportunity, I'm summarizing this part, all have the opportunity to be made right with God through faith. What I put here as a descriptor that you need to understand about this way that God's righteousness has been manifested is this, that it is needed and available to all. It is needed and available to all. Paul says there's no distinction here. There's no one who can leave himself out of the need. For all have sinned. All of us. You can't tell me this morning that you haven't sinned. You have sinned. And he says you've fallen short of the glory of God. His righteousness is here and you fall short no matter how the degree of falling short is not really what matters. The fact is that you're not perfectly righteous, and God only accepts those who are perfectly righteous. You are below His standard of righteousness. By your own projection of relationship with Him, you fall short. It's the, it's the example of uh, anybody trying to take a board exam? You can pray for Michelle, she's taking it next week. Um, it's the idea of you've got to have a certain grade on the board exam in order to pass and keep going, right? But falling short would mean that you don't measure up. You're insufficient for what you need. You get too many questions wrong, not enough questions right, and you fall short of the standard, and you fall below, and you get the consequence of falling below. It's the idea of a credit card. This is embarrassing, right? And you, and you take out your card at Target or wherever you are, and you go to pay, and then it says, what? Insufficient funds. <laughs> And you're standing there like, oh, what am I going to do? There's like three people behind you. And you're pretending like, oh, somebody must have stolen my credit card. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know good and well. You ain't got all in everything out. Yeah. It's that picture. It comes short. You fall short of what you need. Paul says all of us have this need. All of us. But the other part of what he says is that there is no distinction for all that. Sin and fall short of the glory of God, but all also are included on the invitation to receive this gift of salvation. And let me tell you, just like there's no one here in this room listening online today, no matter who you are, there's, there's no one that's an exception to being a sinner. You are 
sinner. You have sinned and you have fallen short. But let me tell you something else. That there's no one that's an exception to this. That God's gift of rescue is not available to you. No one is beyond God's rescue here in this world. No one. There's no distinction among us. All of us. All of us can be saved. All of us can be put right with God. All of us. There's no exceptions to our sin, but there's no exceptions to God's willingness to save. And some of you this morning need to hear that. God knows you. He knows your sin, but He also gave, provided salvation for you. And you are not beyond His reach, His willingness, His desire to put you back right with Him. It's good. Verse 24. It's a phrase that says this. Look back at your scripture. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. And are justified. Now, this is an important word for you to understand in the scripture. Being forgiven and being justified are not the same thing. Being forgiven and being justified are not the same thing. In the Greek or in our language. Being forgiven implies that I am guilty and my crime is not counted. Being justified implies that I have been tried and I have been found innocent. Forgiveness implies being guilty and the crime is not counted. Being justified means I've been tried and I've been found innocent. By the standard of the law. Justified is a legal term. There's some judges in the room, people who work in the courthouses. It's a legal term. It means to declare someone to be just. It is a verdict. It's like when you're in a courtroom and a judge pounds the gavel down. It is a verdict. And it's a verdict, it means this. It is an act of God whereby God declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ. It is an act of God whereby God declares the believing sinner to be righteous, without fault, innocent in Christ on the basis of his finished work on the cross. That's what it means to be justified. It is an act, not a process. Don't get it wrong. It's not something that happens over time. It is a one-time verdict that comes in. And when the verdict comes in, it is finished. It is an act not a process. There are no degrees of justification. You can't be 50% justified or 75% justified. God either sees you as completely 100% justified or not justified at all. It is something that God does, not something that we do. It's an act of God. And it is a declaration. In other words... To justify someone, it doesn't mean that you make them righteous. It means that you declare them righteous. Let me say it again. To justify, to declare someone justified, it's not that you make them righteous, but you are declaring them righteous. The verdict comes in. Not a moral change in a life yet, but the verdict comes in. He is just. He is righteous. 
it's a legal matter. Anybody study accounting? God bless you. Uh, it's like an accounting term. God counts righteousness into our account. He credits righteousness into our account. You have nothing, but God takes all that He has, and He says, count all that I have for all that He doesn't have. He declares us just, innocent, righteous, on the basis of His own righteousness. He looks at us and says, without fault. Isn't that amazing? It's an accreditation. We put in our credit card and it comes short insufficient funds. But God, for those who put their faith in His plan of salvation, God says they are justified. Instead of insufficient funds, they tap into the never-ending account of His riches and grace through Christ. And every time you go to put in for a need, you've got it because He has supplied your account full. Not from your own righteousness, but from His. And you are justified. The verdict is in and you are declared innocent. Praise God. Then it says, verse 23, part 24, says they are justified by His grace as a gift. In other words, His righteousness has been manifested, and one of the, the ways, the characteristics of this is that it is a free gift, totally from God. God's way of salvation is free and it is a gift of His grace and it is all from Him. The word freely, another place it's used in Greek, John 15 verse 25, it literally means without a cause. Without a cause. In other words, God is saying that I am going to put you right with me. I am going to justify you without a cause. There's nothing you've done to earn this. There's nothing you've done to deserve it. And there's nothing that I was obligated to do for you. There's no obligation here. Without a cause, God provides His salvation it is His love, friends. First John 4, verse 8. God is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever might believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is by His grace, Ephesians 2 says, not of anything that you have done, not by your works, but it is His grace, and it is a gift. If you go thinking that you deserve this, there's something in you that God saw. Well, He does love you. There's nothing in you that merits, in the sense of obligation, His salvation. He freely gives it, without a cause. The reason He does is because He loves you, friend. He loves you. There's a difference in grace and mercy. You don't know this, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God, in His grace, gives us what we do not deserve. Mercy would be if I gave up a test and 
you took the test and you failed it. And you come to me and you say, oh, Aaron, will you, will you just show me some grace, right? Well, what you're asking for is for that test not to be counted, right? Or for you to have an opportunity to make up your mistakes. So that would be mercy, though. Mercy would be not counting your grade or letting you have a reading. Grace would be if I say, okay, yeah, you failed the test. So let me go take the test that I wrote, score it with a perfect score because of my ability and my knowledge, my power to do perfectly. Let me take it for you and then I'll write down my grade under your name. That, my friends, is grace. And God says, Oh, there's been a righteousness that's manifested. It's apart from the law. The law and the prophets have borne witness to it. It's available and needed for all. It includes His justification, but the way it comes is by His grace as a gift. You got it? It's free without cause. He loves you. This is why He's doing it. The next phrase we see in verse 24 is this. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Paul wants us to understand the basis of how God is doing this. God is able to save us, to justify us, to give His grace freely toward us. He's available to all of us without exception. How? What's the basis? Here it is. The basis is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forth as a propitiation by His own blood to be received by faith. Here's the key here. It's through the perfect person and work of Jesus that this right relationship comes. Salvation is free, one Pastor says, but it is not cheap. Sometimes we think about free things as cheap things. Anybody ever try to hand you something free? You look at it like, oh, what's the gimmick here? Y'all ever done that? Or you hand somebody gives out something free and you think, well, that must be, you know, they probably paid two cents for that. That's nothing. Nobody gives me anything free that doesn't have a cost. You know, that's cheap. We think cheap when we think free. Let me tell you something. I'm telling you this morning, God's gift is a free gift. It is a free gift by His grace, but it is not cheap. <laughs> it is not cheap, friends. Don't mistake it. This gift, free gift, yes, it's free to you, but it comes at a cost. Not your cost, but it comes at the cost of God Himself in giving His own Son, Jesus Christ. And not just giving Him to live, but giving Him to die. It costs God everything. That which you get freely costs God everything to give to you. Sometimes I, uh, in the last few days, taking care of Caroline, you know, having a baby makes you really aware of all that your parents did for you. <laughs> you know, I don't think I ever really appreciated it. My mom was here today. I know. Um, I'm not just saying this because you're here, although I kind of am. I never fully appreciated what my mom and dad did for me until I had a baby. 
And now I'm up in the middle of the night, feeding, soothing, rocking, I'm dropping her off at school. You know, your, your whole life begins to change. Everything is directed toward providing what is needed for this child who we love. And I don't think I ever really realized. I never thought about it. My parents did this for me for so many years. I never even knew that. I never even knew that. Caroline will not remember this. Just because I don't recognize it doesn't mean there wasn't a cost to it. You got it? Oh, friend, don't pray we never do this with God's salvation. Why we just think, oh yeah, it's, it's there. It's just there. Oh no, it's not just there. 2,000 years ago, God gave everything that you might have everything. There was a price that had to be paid, and he, in his love, paid it. Why? For you. What's that cost? Well, it's in who Jesus is, and it's in what he does. Jesus is the Redeemer. We call him Jesus Christ. You want to know why we call him Jesus Christ? What does Christ mean? It just means Messiah. It means the Redeemer. From the beginning of time, Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's why when John saw him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus came and said, I am He. He used I am repeatedly. He is the one, the only one, the only one in all the universe, the only one, friends, the only one who is able, through who he was and what he'd done, who is able to accomplish for you your salvation, the only one came for you. How wonderful, right? Through the redemption, it says, the redemption of repeatedly in Scripture means forgiveness. Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Colossians 1, 14, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Redemption means forgiveness. There is one coming who is a forgiver. You have this enormous debt. You're guilty before God. You stand condemned. Oh, but there's one who's willing and able to forgive you. Praise God. Through the redemption, the forgiveness is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation means to satisfy God's holy law. To to meet His demands. Here is one who is coming to meet all the demands that God has on you. You can't do it, but He can. And He's coming to meet God's demands. In other words, to be a substitute in your place... The only one who could be that substitute, he's come. He's come. He's a hero of the story. He's come. And he wants to stand in your place to give you what you cannot give yourself. Praise God. Are you feeling the weight of this? The wonder of this? How did he do it? Well, it says God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. The word tells us the price that had to be paid. Jesus said repeatedly that he came to lay down his life for his friends. That he would take up a cross. That he would be put away. That he had to bear the penalty for your sins and for mine. And that penalty, friends, the penalty for sin is death by blood. There's no other way to satisfy sin. 
It is death by blood. And if you are going to be set free, friends, and have life, don't miss this. If you're going to be set free and have life, then what that means is this. That someone has to die by blood in your place. What God says is, I've provided a way to be right with me. The way I've done it is by giving everything for you. At great cost to myself, I've given my son Jesus, the only one who is able, who can save you. I've given him up. He will forgive your sins. He will stand as a substitute in your place. And he will do it by offering his own life and his own blood in exchange for yours. On the cross, as Jesus died, he bore the wrath of God for us. All of our sins had to be paid, and they were paid, one for one for one, as Jesus died in our place. The condemnation that we deserve, as you look at the cross, that is your condemnation, friends. You need to be there. That's where you deserve to be, giving your life by blood. And instead, we have a Savior who's given his life by blood so that you can be set free, forgiven, clean, counted, righteous. Anybody say, yes, thank you, God, by His blood. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, He didn't have sin, but He took on your sin so that you who didn't have righteousness could have His righteousness. There's a great exchange. And it is by His grace as a gift. Leviticus 16. I've got to get toward a closing point. But Leviticus 16, there's a wonderful picture of this that you'll look at this week in small groups called the Day of Atonement. And on that Day of Atonement, there's a foreshadowing of the work of Christ on our behalf. When God instructed the people to go and get two spotless, perfect goats, lambs. One of them was to be killed, the innocent Life taken. Why? For the sins of the people. His blood was to be taken into the Holy of Holies, that place where God's presence dwelt, that place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Inside the Ark was the perfect law. All of this displaying God's perfect righteousness. No one could go into this place except for this one time a year because His righteousness, we just fall short. We can't even go in. But on this one day a year, He says, take the innocent, kill it. By its blood, drain it out. Take the blood of that innocent one into the Holy of Holies and pour it out all over the mercy seat of God. All over the righteousness of God. Pour it out for the sins of the people so that they can know that I am a God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. By the blood of the innocent, there is covering. There is covering. Atonement means covering. There is covering for us. Then he says, take the other goat, lay your hands on it. Confess everything that you've done. All the sins of the people. Name them out one by one by one. See how broken you are. Put them onto this in a type of way. Confess all your sins and then take him out to the wilderness and set him free. You will never see him again. To show that God in his love takes our sins and he separates them from us. As far as the east is from the west, God removes our sins from us. Psalm 103. All of this a picture of what this verse is saying that we are justified by His grace as a gift. How? Not through little lambs. Those are just types. Those blood of goats and bulls can't take away sin, but they were pointing to the one who can, the perfect Lamb of God who poured out all of His life blood on the cross, and He went into the very Holy of Holies, not the tent made with hands, but heaven itself, and He presented His blood, and He said, take 
this blood, my righteousness, and cover my people. Cover them. Cover them. Let there be mercy, forgiveness, and grace toward them. And the same Lamb said, remove their sin from them as far as the east is from the west. That's why He was crucified outside the camp. What Christ has done is the basis of our salvation, and it is enough to make you right with God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. He's done it. It says this can be received by faith. Don't miss this because this is all important. And the whole next chapter will be spent on this. It is received through faith. Not everybody's going to get this salvation. Only those who trust Him. The righteousness of God doesn't come through behaving, it comes through believing. And it's not believing like a head knowledge, it's believing like a trust, like a surrender. In the same way that if you were dying from a disease and I gave you a medicine and you had to take it, it's that kind of belief. In the same way that if you were hanging over the edge of a cliff, fighting for your life, your fingers were slipping off and you needed a rescue, and I came and I said, give me your hand. There's no other way. In the same way that you would grab hold of me for dear life, it is this way that God says, you must receive this through faith. There's only one way. I've provided it for you here. I can make you just. I can forgive you. It's available to you. Everything has been pointing to this one. It's through Christ, my son. There's redemption, forgiveness of sins. But you have to trust him. You have to grab hold of it by faith. Just as you would receive any gift at Christmas, you have to take it, use it, enjoy it. It's to those who receive it by faith that God gives the gift of life. And Paul goes on in closing. And he says, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, this way of saving is done in perfect justice. There are people who would say, well, that's not right. God can't just make right people who aren't godly. I mean, the ordinary way to be just in human court is by keeping the law. But we got brought into the courtroom and we haven't kept the law. How can God be just? How can he do this? That's not right. Paul says, no, the way he's done it is right. goes through the cross. God is both just and justifier of our sins. Here, Paul is solving the riddle of Exodus 34, 6. It's the key question of all of Scripture, and that is this. God says, I am the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Oh, we love those things about God, don't we? And then he follows it and he says, but who will by no means clear the guilty? 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children through the third and fourth generation. In other words, he says, I love you. I have a gracious and forgiving God who will forgive your sin, but I will never, I will never clear the guilty. How are you going to do that? I'm, I'm guilty, but you say you love me? You want to forgive me? How, how can God be both? Doesn't that seem confusing to you? It's confusing until you look at the cross. Because on the cross, friends, you see two things happening. See, you need two things. You need your sin to be taken away, and you also need righteousness to be given to you. The one who goes to heaven, the one who gets in right relation with God, is not just one who has their sin taken away, but you also have to have perfect righteousness in your account. You've got to have your debts forgiven, and you've got to have an account full of righteousness. And God says, I am both just and justifier when you look at the cross. I have not just passed over sin. Look at my son. 1 Peter 2, 24, in his body on a tree, he's bearing sin for us. Your sin was not passed over. It was paid in full. That's why he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And God is the justifier. He freely gives to you his perfect righteousness. He forgives your sin, paying for his own blood, and then he provides perfect obedience to you. The scripture says that he became obedient even to the point of death. Paul says in Philippians 3, I don't claim a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I claim the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. He's saying I need a, a perfect record, and I don't have it, but Jesus has it. Not only did he willing to take away my sin, but he was obedient to the point of death in every way. He's perfect. And he's giving me now his perfect record. God on the cross, just and justified. <laughs> he's done it. Then Paul says this. So, what then? Verse 27. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, Paul says, as Robbie comes, Paul says this. What, what are you going to do with this now? I'm telling you, if God has provided this salvation, it's totally apart from what you've done. It's all what he's done. He justifies, he forgives, he makes you right. It's available to you. It's through what he's done in the Son. By his grace, it's a gift. For you to receive by faith, he's totally and perfectly just in doing it. What then should you do? You're going to boast about this? As if you did it? it? You know, let me tell you something. If you are drowning in the middle of the sea and a lifeguard comes out to rescue you, are you going to boast that the lifeguard rescued you? Did you see how I grabbed his hand? Is that going to be your response? No. The hero of that story is not you. It's the lifeguard who came to rescue you. Apart from the lifeguard, you are drowning and dead. Paul says, what, where are you going to go with this? Well, this salvation always leads us to trust. It leads us to worship. And it leads us to surrender to our creator.
It's through the Son of Jesus. The question this morning is do you recognize this? Do you feel it down to your gut? Do you love this? And have you ever experienced this salvation? I'm convinced that there are many in our world and many in this room today that maybe they know these things, they've heard these things, maybe you haven't heard them. Maybe you've never heard this. But I'll tell you, apart from this, there's no hope for you. But because of what God has done through Christ, oh, you have the greatest of hopes because He has made a way. Totally apart from you, what Jesus has done for you because He loves you. He can rescue you from your hopeless condition. He can save you. He can forgive you. He can give you His perfect righteousness. Oh, friends, you can be made right with Him. But you must receive it. You must receive it through faith. Take all the eggs out of your basket and put them all on the And say, oh, Lord Jesus, I believe that this is what you've done for me. I believe this is your heart for me. God, will you do this in me? 